Bridge Kids, thank you for joining us for worship. You're dismissed. So over the past five weeks, we've been talking about Grow Forward. So just what exactly is Grow Forward? Well, it's about growing forward. Um, and to simplify it real easily, if we stay in this location, we will not grow. This is a great room, this is a big room, but we don't have enough room for bridge kids to continue to grow. We just stay at a certain level because there's not enough space to keep adding kids. Um, our mission is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. We want to grow and reach more and more people for Jesus Christ. Grow Forward is about taking steps for us to reach more people for Christ. Grow Forward is about realigning our hearts for the sake of the gospel. Now, we do have a $250,000 goal, and, and Mike mentioned that already. And the purpose of that is for a down payment on a permanent facility. We have been renting this. We've had nine different locations in, in the past 10 years, and uh, we, we've come to the point where uh, we think it's time now to seek a permanent facility. And of course, we know that a permanent facility is not an answer to all of our needs, but it is a next step. Um, grow Forward has a financial goal, but it's not just about the money. It's about our hearts just as much or even more. God wants our hearts to grow in generosity. Uh, he wants us to become more and more like him. He is a giving God. Our Grow Forward initiative uh, over the past uh, few weeks has caused many of us to look at our financial priorities uh, and examine them very carefully. God is at work at growing us in generosity. As you know, God has much to say uh, about money and stuff. Uh, over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money and stuff. Of the 38 parables that Jesus gave, 16 of them are about money and stuff. It's good for us if we're going to develop into fully devoted followers of Christ. It's good for us to know and to understand how to, how to apply uh, God's principles of generosity in our lives. So today is a recap, okay? Now, if you're visiting with us, we don't talk about money every week. In fact, this has been pretty rare for the bridge to talk about money. But uh, we are going to do that today, and it's just a recap. I'm just going to highlight some of the principles that we've looked at over the past five, five weeks. So first of all, God owns everything, and we are his managers. He owns everything. He is the creator God. He made everything. He made us. We got lost, 
And he redeemed us. And he paid the price to purchase us back for himself. And we are his children. We are not our own. Psalm 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Seems pretty straightforward. Um, God owns everything. However, we Americans take great pride in ownership. Sometimes we find ourselves in competition with what God thinks. Um, Haggai chapter 2, verse 8. This happens um, during a building campaign. God is dialoguing with the prophet Haggai, and some of the people are worried about the second temple. It's not going to be as great as the first temple, and they are worried. And God says, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Can you trust Him? Can He provide? Jesus likened our role to this story in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 15. We looked at this passage. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven, and he says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So in this story, as we've talked about, and uh, you may be quite familiar with this, um, the man who's about to go on a journey refers to Jesus, who is about to return to heaven. He's about to go back to where he came from. And he's going to leave his followers, his disciples. And he is going to entrust them with his resources. To the one who gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. And so he's going to trust his followers with resources, and he's going to leave. Some of us just wish we got a bag of gold, don't we? But he's coming back. Matthew 25, verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And so, uh, in the story, the wealthy man comes back, the master comes back, checks in with those who uh, were serving him, and he wants to know what happened. And each one responds on how they handled his resources. The same is going to be true, that one day when Jesus returns, each of us who are Christ followers will give an accounting for what he has given us. Um, so God owns everything. We are his managers Question for us, do we acknowledge God as the owner of everything? Have you done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever set aside time and just sort of evaluate your own life and what's been provided for you and thank him for those things and acknowledge they all belong to him? Have you ever done that? I would encourage you, set aside some time, Talk it through with God. Be specific. The second principle, and we, this is not new for us, my heart 
follows my money. My heart follows my money. It's easier to say, my money follows my heart. That's easier. That's sort of natural. We think if we like something, we'll give to it. And that's partially true. But that's not what Jesus said. Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. This is all review. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But So he's, he's saying, on the one hand, when it comes to priorities, there's a priority for, verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because moth and vermin don't destroy there and thieves don't break in and steal. He says there's a priority. Don't focus on storing up and accumulating stuff. Didn't say you couldn't have stuff. He says don't make that your focus. He says store up for yourselves treasures in heaven is because when you give back generously to God, you're having an eternal impact. And Jesus says you're laying up treasure in heaven. It's going to be an internal investment. In fact, it's going to be there when you get there. And then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you spend your money right now says a whole lot about your relationship with God, according to Jesus. Where you spend your money says a whole lot about your heart and what's important. I like the uh, quote of Jim Elliott. He, he said, Jim Elliott was a missionary who died in 1956 in Ecuador. He was martyred by the Alca Indians. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And exactly the idea that Jesus was focusing on. Who gives what he cannot keep, who gives away what he can't keep. He can't keep it because it's temporary. It only lasts for the here and the now. It doesn't last for eternity. But when you give it back to God, you gain what you cannot lose. Because it's eternal. It's laying up treasure in heaven. So God owns everything and I'm his money manager. My heart follows my money. You can think about that a long time. That's saying, if I take an act of faith and give to something to support it, and I'm committed to that, and I learn about it, and I pray about it, and I focus on that, my heart begins to go where I put my money. Thirdly, giving is about trusting in God's leadership. Giving is about trusting in God's leadership. This is a faith issue. It's a trust issue. Can you and I trust God 
with our money, with our resources, with all that we have. It's really about lordship. Um, in your memory verses, I, we could just, wouldn't it be fun to go around the room and have everybody stand up and quote 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. But let's look at that passage, 1 Timothy. And the Apostle Paul writes, Command those who are rich in this present world, and we noted that if you have an income of more than $32,500, you are in the top 1% of the world. Now, you may not be rich according to your neighbors, but you are rich according to most of the world. And we're probably mostly in the top 2% or maybe 3% if we had everybody's income in the room. It doesn't really make any difference, but we're rich. We have food, we have clothing, we have a place to stay. We don't have to worry much about tomorrow. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Now, we wouldn't say we put our hope in wealth, would we? That's not the Christian answer. When we're counting on money and stuff, it is so uncertain. Require, and, and according to Solomon, it requires a great deal of energy and care to handle money and stuff. So he, 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 he instructs us to warn them about putting their hope in wealth. It's so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. That's a trust issue who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What do we choose? On the one hand, put our hope in our money and stuff and our ability to produce wealth. Put our hope in God who richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. God's glad for you to enjoy money and stuff under his lordship and when you acknowledge him and you give him thanks and you recognize that and you're just growing in generosity because of his goodness and then he says command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation I think that's probably what Jesus was talking about, about laying up treasure in heaven for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. According to the Apostle Paul, being generous, being rich in good deeds, being willing to share is about the life, the real life, taking hold of that which we were designed to live, created in the image of God, being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, a question for us is, are you happy with your life? Have you taken hold of the life that is really life? Or are you disappointed with how your life is turning out? Are you disappointed with one more thing? 
This is a trust issue. Do you trust God with your money, with your life? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 says this, but my righteous, this, you know, this is leading into chapter 11, and the chapter 11 is faith's hall of fame. It's a, one example of another of people who live by faith and were pleasing to God. And the writer of Hebrews says, but my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Our Christian life begins by faith, but it is a day-by-day walk by faith, and giving is a demonstration of living by faith. Number four, the fourth uh, principle we're going to be reminded of is that roadblocks keep us from generous giving. Roadblocks keep us from generous giving. Uh, The first one that we had talked about was having the wrong focus. Perhaps this is kind of obvious from what has already been said, but let's be reminded and look at Colossians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae in the first century. He says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, You have a new identity. You've placed your faith in Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. You've become a child of God. You have a new position in Christ. And now you should have new priorities. Set your hearts, because that's what Jesus wants, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It doesn't say you can't appreciate earthly things or enjoy earthly things. Just don't set your heart and limit your heart to this life because there's a greater priority over this stuff. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Things are different when Christ, who is your life, appears, and you also will appear with him in glory. The Apostle Paul is saying, we have a new position, a new identity, and we should live. We should seek to live as if we are indeed children of God. And there is a family resemblance. Again, Jesus warns us about this wrong focus. In Luke chapter 12, he says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. There are all kinds of greed. Wanting more and more of what we have enough of already. And he says, Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And we kind of want to say, yeah, but it's really, really, really important. If Jesus only knew what we know, somehow I don't think he'd be convinced. So having the wrong focus can keep us from being generous. That is, if I'm worried that I won't have enough for myself, if I give away some of my money, this Wrong focus can keep us from being generous. We also talked about the lack of contentment as uh, one of the roadblocks. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says this, 
Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so this kind of runs through the scriptures to keep yourselves from the love of money. It doesn't say you can't value money or it doesn't say money is not important. Um, it just says don't make that your first love. Don't make that your top priority. Be content with what you have. Now, that's something entirely different, isn't it? It's easy for us to say, we don't love money. But then the next question, are we content? And contentment is not about our outer circumstances. It's about our inner circumstances. It's about our relationship with God. It's about, are we satisfied with how God provides for us. Are we okay with God for how he's provided? Can we say thank you, God? Or do we look around and see what other people have? I've wished I had that. I've wished I had that. And all of a sudden, we're not happy. We're not content. We're not satisfied. We need more. First, Timothy Chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. The Apostle Paul knew that you're not going to likely see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take nothing with you when it's time. And Paul said, godliness with contentment is a great gain. It's about our hearts. It's about our view of wealth. It's about how we handle money. Godliness with contentment. So I remember the words of Sheryl Crow, right? You know Sheryl Crow. She's, she had a song soak up the sun, and she said, it's not having what you want, it's wanting what you've got. There's a whole lot of truth in that. It's not having what you want. What do you want? It's having what you've already got. Are you satisfied? Are you content with what you already have? The Apostle Paul continues in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, he says, But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Right? Are you okay with food and clothing? The Apostle Paul was. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And Paul is saying, we can be deceived. We can be deceived about what's important. We can be deceived about what's going to make us happy. We can be deceived that we need to get one more thing. That we need to keep going after one more thing. And it comes into many foolish and harmful desires that plumb people into ruin and destruction. And then he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I remember many years ago, way back in the 1980s, Larry Burkett was the first one I heard it from. He he said that 
Christians are the most likely people to be duped into get-rich schemes. And I've found so many Christians want to find a scheme to make money quickly, and they don't always make good choices, and they sometimes waste a whole lot of money because they've been convinced they can get wealth in a very quick way. And all I'm saying is sometimes Christians are foolish, and I think that's exactly what Paul was saying in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Next uh, roadblock is failure to recognize God's provision. We've talked about this already, um, but let's go back to Deuteronomy 8, 17, and 18. And God is warning uh, his people before they go into the promised land and have the good life that there's a danger they're going to forget who's their provider. And he says, you may say to yourself, self my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Look at me. Look, look at my life. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability. And this, it's good for me to just remember this continuously to stop and thank, thank God for my, I thank God for my health that I'm still kicking you know um, I thank God he, that he's provided so many things that enabled me to be here today and he's provided abundantly financially for me uh, God is the one who enables us and we can easily forget it and so I find that just going through and making a list of what I have to be thankful for about what he's provided helps me keep my focus. And then just back to 1 Timothy 6, 17. Again, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to think that you're more important than other people because of what you have nor to put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. He's the provider. May we not forget that. He richly provides for our enjoyment. He's for us. He's the creator. He created us to enjoy life, but it's under his lordship, not under our lordship. Okay, last thing I want to remind you of, number five, my standard of giving comes before my standard of living. This is from last week. What comes first for you? Standard of living, standard of giving. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So I've told you many times, this is my life verse. I've just found... When I remember this verse, I get so many issues that I face solved, so many struggles, so many temptations, how I handle my money, and it's about priority. It's about lordship. Who's going who's to be the master of my life? Am I going to be building Christ's kingdom, or am I going to be building my own kingdom and stepping out and trying to make myself 
bigger, better, stronger, happier without God. God wants to be the first priority. He wants to be the first priority in everything. He wants to be the first priority in our money. And Jesus knew that giving was God's antidote for materialism and affluence, affluenza, if you remember that. Again, Jesus put it straight when he said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And Jesus also said, for where your treasure is, Matthew 6, 21, there your hearts will be also. So a question for us is, where are our hearts? Where is your heart? Would you say that your heart is growing in generosity? And I don't mean just to give to the Grow Forward campaign, but are you growing in generosity? There's a lot of opportunities to give. And, and if God is working in your life to grow you in an area that doesn't include Grow Forward, great. That's God's work, and it's his kingdom, and it's his business. But are you growing in generosity? Is your standard of giving really more important than your standard of living? Do you have a standard for giving? We talked about the three P's. We talked about priority. We talked about uh, percentage. And we talked about progressive. And the idea of evaluating, knowing where you stand, knowing where you want to go. And, and having a plan to grow in your generosity with God. Um, the Apostle Paul would tell us we should decide in our hearts what we want to give, for God loves a cheerful giver. So my encouragement would be for you to set aside a time with God. Pray about your finances and ask God what he wants you to be doing with your finances. The last passage I want to look at is James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. James says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So imagine your first trip into the bathroom this morning, you look in the mirror, what do you see? Now, for most of us, we need a little work before we go out the door. You know, I need to shave and shower and put on some good clothes and do the best I can. We look in the mirror, we know what needs to be done, and then we go about doing it. We make the changes. And that's what James is saying here. We look into God's word, and we see ourselves, not our neighbor, and then we think about what are the changes that need to take place. And then we go about doing those things, take some steps toward generosity by faith. Okay? Let's pray together. I have one more quote. 
Let's stand, and here's the quote. For the Christian, the bottom line can never be the bottom line. Because it's not about the money, it's about our hearts. Let's pray together. Gracious God, I just um, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction it is in my life. May I seek to apply what I have taught. May my heart grow in generosity. Help us all to be reminded that you are the owner of everything and we're just here to take care of it. Help us to grow our hearts toward generosity. Help us not to have the wrong focus, but to keep you as a priority. May each one of us take time to let you evaluate our hearts and to seek your wisdom if there are things we can do to better handle our money. For Jesus' sake, amen.